Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. People sitting on his lap that he talked like that, but the focus is on others and not me. And even I thought, you know, if, if I am disappointed with a gift that someone gives me, Maybe my focus is more on me than on the one who is giving. Um, I think about that sometimes. And, you know, Jesus is quoted by Paul as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I ask myself, do I really believe that? Do I really believe it is more blessed to give than to receive? In the Bible, in John 3.16, we know that uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was thinking to demonstrate his love for the world, God gave. And I heard it, I've heard it said that we're never more like God than when we're giving. A story I heard some time ago really illustrates this. Shortly after the end of World War II, Europe was in ruins. And many of the cities around Europe were in ruins, especially in London. And probably the saddest sight you would see is the orphan children starving in the, in the city streets and just looking for something to sustain themselves. And the story goes, one morning, chilly morning in London, an American soldier was returning to his barracks and he turned a corner and saw a young boy, five or six years old, outside of a bakery, just mesmerized by watching the baker knead the dough for the pastries for the day. The soldier pulled the jeep over and walked up to the window where the young boy was standing, and he could just see the young boy was just fixated to the point he didn't even recognize the soldier was next to him. And the soldier's heart went out to him, and he said, um, son, would you like some of those? And startled, the little boy looked up and said, oh, yes, sir, I sure would. So the soldier went inside, bought a, a dozen or so of the pastries, and, and came out and just simply gave them to the little boy, and he said... Here you are. And as he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked back, and the little boy was looking up at him with uh, eyes of amazement. And he said, the little boy said, Mister, are you God? And just thinking about that, that little boy so much wanted. Maybe he was even praying that he'd have something. And this man came and gave to him. And this little boy is like, this must be God or an angel that's come. And I think when we think about giving and receiving, Jesus put it in other terms. In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, Jesus focused on serving versus being served. Serving versus being served. Let's read Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for something, him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not, you do not know what you're asking. Uh, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by, for by my father. And when the ten heard it, heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As I read that and just think about the interactions that went along, I see the disciples wanted to be served. Zebedee's sons didn't see being at Jesus' side as a place of serving. They saw it as more of a place of authority and power where they could be served. But I think it's interesting that they, their mother asked on their behalf. I mean, they were grown men. Why didn't they go directly to Jesus? Maybe they thought their desire for power would be less obvious if their mother asked Jesus on their behalf. But I think Je Jesus saw straight through this, and he challenged them. He said, can you drink from the cup that I will drink? His mention, he mentions this cup again in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays that this cup of suffering death for the sins of all the world and his separation from the Father will be taken from him. And this is what he was saying. Are you willing to go through what I will go through to be in my kingdom? He concludes his prayer by saying, not your will, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. He said, God, I, want, I would love this to be taken from me, but I, I submit to you. And it's interesting, the other ten disciples, they were indignant. I think they were indignant because these two brothers got to jump on them. They asked first, and they were indignant. And Jesus realized what was happening, and he addressed all of them, and he said, you don't understand my kingdom. Let me tell what a leader in my kingdom looks like. He says, in his kingdom, leaders lead by serving, not by being served, but by serving. And I think about my, I said, what, what about us? What about me? Do we or I seek positions to serve? Or do I seek positions where I can be served? And many of us, I think, like James and John, we, we want to be great. We want to be first. But I think, do I still want it if it means I must be the servant and slave to all? And it seems being great and being first, it, almost those terms seem paradoxical to being servants and slaves. To say, I'm the great servant. I'm the first slave. That seems like an oxymoron. Those, those, those words don't go together. I think I, I misunderstand it because I don't understand how God's kingdom works. He's saying, God, you see, in God's kingdom, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And I still have a hard time putting my mind around that. How does that play out in my life? I see it uh, many times in my own life. For a personal example, I, I come home from my office, uh, and I find Connie uh, in the kitchen preparing dinner. And then I think, what do I do? If I am living to serve, I'll step in the kitchen and ask her, how can I help you? What can I do to help? But if I'm living to be served, I'll find a place to rest a bit before dinner. I mean, I'm tired. I, I need to rest. Um, and if I'm living to serve, I know Connie would appreciate me asking whether she needs help or not. But if I'm living to be served, I find that I might think, I know she's tired, but I, I got to be more tired than she is because I, I worked hard all day. And then I think, you know, she likes cooking, and she likes to serve me in this way. Isn't that right, dear? <laughs> so... I, I wrestle with that, but I think if I'm living to serve, I'll think of Connie more than me. But if I'm living to be served, I think only of me. And I think, I, can, I, I ask myself, can I say like Jesus, that I come not to be served, but to serve? 
My answer makes all the difference in the world to me. And I think there are several things I learned about myself when I think, of the, what, what does it look like to be, how does it play out in my own life if I come to be served? If I come to be served, I think when I face challenges and difficulties in life and things I'm dealing with, my response is, I can't or I won't. And I look for a way out. I look to get out of the situation because it's just too difficult. Because I, I want to be served, not to serve. Or if I come to be served, when I find myself being overlooked in situations, I become even more self-promoting. I think if I don't look out for myself, who will? I live by faith in me. And then, if I come to be served, I have a demanding attitude. Always believing I deserve better and more. I think, how can I rejoice and give thanks when I could have or even should have so much more? If I come to be served when things are not going well, I become critical of others and destructive in my criticisms, making sure that my interests are protected because it's about me serving me. If I come to be served uh, when others succeed or receive an unexpected blessing, I grudgingly ask, why not me? I become envious and say, hey, I deserve this as much as they do if I come to be served. If I come to be served when I'm offended, I desire the other party pay, and I hold grudges. I feel I'm right to judge and demand for justice for me because it's about me. If I come to be served when I offend someone else, I see it as his or her problem, not mine. They need to come to me if they want to reconcile because it's their problem. If I come to be served... When I'm given the chance to serve, or if I come to be served, when I'm given the chance to serve, I'll ask, what's in it for me? What will I get out of it? And then I'll think, it's not my problem, and I'll just keep moving. That's if I live to be served. On the other hand, if I come to serve, how does that play out in my life? If I come to be served. When I'm faced with challenges and difficulties, I'll respond, God can. God can make a difference. God can enable me. God can provide all this need in this situation. God can even remove me from the situation if he wants. But it, it, even in the middle of it, if, if God says, I want you to face these, I want you to go through, I want, I want, to, I want to increase your, your, your ability, your perseverance, your strength, I can say, your will be done, as my Lord did. And I keep serving. I don't look for a way out. I keep serving. If I come to serve when I find myself being overlooked, I can respond as Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My faith is in God. I live by faith in God, not in me. So I can live with being overlooked. If I come to be served, if I come to serve, I have a grateful attitude. I practice 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If I come to serve, I can be grateful. And if I come to serve when things are not going well, I offer constructive criticism, working to see changes that benefit everyone. I follow Philippians 2.3. It says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. If I come to serve, I focus on others more than me.
If I come to serve when others succeed or receive an unexpected blessing, I can celebrate with them. I can rejoice with them as they rejoice. If I come to serve when I'm offended, I'm willing to forgive because I remember, I know how much I've been forgiven. I am merciful and I extend grace. If I come to serve when I offend someone else, my desire is reconciliation. I want to reconcile with them. And I go to them and seek their forgiveness because I've offended them. And if I come to serve when I'm given the chance to serve, I ask, what do you need? How can I serve? Then I roll up my sleeve, jump in, and find a way to help if I come to serve as my Lord. But I find I have to choose daily to serve or to be served. It's not a natural response. To serve others is possible only through Christ. To be served is my natural sinful inclination. I like to be served in my natural man. But I think Jesus is our supreme example. He's the one that shows us what this looks like to serve rather than to be served. In John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, Jesus showed us what serving others really looks like. This is just before his crucifixion, and he's with the disciples at his last supper. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. To understand what's happening, we have to understand the context. You know, in our home, we often have children uh, come to eat with us. And it's, it's, it's fun sometimes to have them with us. But they, we do enjoy having them with us. And so we, we, we feed them. But many times we have to say, have you washed your hands? And they'll look at them. And, and I can't believe it's dirty hands. And I said, you've got to wash your hands. I don't want your dirty hands all over the food. In this context... They didn't sit in chairs, they sit on the floor. So their feet, their dirty feet, and they were very dirty because they walked the places they went. And they, the roads were not paved, they were dusty, they were dirty. And so they sat on the floor and their feet were almost as close to the food as their hands. And so it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to wash the feet of the guests. That's what you did to prepare yourself to eat. So they would wash the feet. In this context, Jesus is sitting with the disciples and no one is volunteering for this job to wash each other's feet. Maybe they were looking for someone else to do it. And I think it's interesting that uh, in the scripture it says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come to God, come from God and was going back to God. When, when Jesus knew this, another, another um, uh, translation said, when Jesus understood all authority had been given to him, what was the first thing he did? He got up and washed his disciples' feet. I mean, just to think, that's, that was what was on Jesus' mind. He was thinking, uh, we need our feet washed. No one else is volunteering. I will do it. And with all authority, he could have said, hey, John, grab a towel. Hey, Peter, grab some water. Wash your feet, you know, take care of us. But no, he said, this is what I will do for them. 
I thought, how do I understand that in, in our context? I, I thought, I'd be like the president of the United States being sworn into office. And then the first thing he does, he grabs a broom and begins to clean the grandstands. It's like, this doesn't make sense. It, it, that's unheard of. We would never expect the president to do that. And neither did the disciples expect Jesus to wash their feet. But he did. But anyway, the passage continues. He didn't stop there. He didn't just do that. He continues in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 15. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I'm thinking, if I'm sitting there in the room and Jesus is washing our feet, I'd be uncomfortable. It didn't seem right. Uh, but I'd be thinking, okay, Lord, if you want to wash others' feet, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm cool. But don't expect me to do that. You know, I, I, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, I, this is somebody else to do this, not me. But then I think he said, if you want to be like me, you will do as I do. And I think in our, what does it look like to wash people's feet in our society? What, what, is, what would that be equivalent to? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about myself. And one of the things I've been thinking about recently a lot is reconciliation. I'm asking, am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to serve others? Am I willing to wash others' feet figuratively in the area of reconciliation? To reconcile us to himself, it costs God the life of his only son, Jesus. It's not cheap. And I asked, what will it cost me to seek reconciliation with my brothers and sisters here on earth? I asked, do I really want reconciliation with others? Or do I just want others to see my point of view and agree with me? I asked, am I willing to confront the evils of my ancestors and do whatever to show others they can trust me? Am I willing to take risks? And challenge the injustices we see around us in our social structures, even if doing so would be very costly for me. Am I willing to? Do I want reconciliation? Am I willing to die to my need to defend myself or my culture when faced with the realities of injustices in our country? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to see through others' eyes without feeling the need to explain why they feel as they do? Am I willing to humble myself so that others may be lifted up? Am I willing to be misunderstood so that others can be heard and understood? Am I willing to be treated poorly so that others can be treated fairly? Am I willing to accept the pain of others so that others may be comforted? Am I willing to be like Jesus who said, I did not come to be served but to serve. This for me in the whole area of reconciliation and in our country, what we're going through, am I, do I want to do what it will take? Am I willing to wash others' feet so they can be acceptable or we can have a relationship that we haven't had in the past? Am I willing to do that? And I find for me, uh, it all comes, it all depends on who's in control of my life. You know, I can... We have a way to 
we have a controlling center in our lives, and we decide who is, who is controlling us. We, God's given us that ability to, to decide that. And I think if God is in control, and I am submitting to him, I will serve. But if I'm in control and doing what my sinful nature desires, I will always seek to be served. Because that's what I'm thinking about, me, not others. So it all depends on who's in control of my life. Recently, I was at a meeting with Jay and Lois at Uptown Kitchen. And we were sitting outside because it was a, a nice day. And in the middle of our meeting, a man shows up asking for help. He says he needs diapers for his baby. And Jay, always serving, well, mostly always serving, serving most of the time, I'd say, his heart is to serve. He told, he told the man, he said, we're in a meeting. And he said, if you go to the store, it's down the road, when I finish my meeting, I'll come and meet you there. And I'll help you get whatever you need. And as the man rode away on his bicycle, I sensed God was saying I should go with Jay. Then I thought, no, 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 he can handle this. He, he didn't need me there. Anyway, I thought, i got other things to do. And so I dismissed it. But in reality, I realized I didn't want to be bothered with this man's problems. I didn't want to serve him. I wanted to be served by not getting involved. And as we finished the meeting and I, and I walked away and got into my truck, um, God began to convict me. You disobeyed me, I sensed the Spirit saying to me. And at first, I wanted to rationalize my decision. I wanted to say, hey, that's not a big deal. I mean, Jake can handle it, and I got other things to do anyway. And I don't know about you, but when you've disobeyed, when I disobey and I try to rationalize with God, even though I have great reasons, uh, he didn't buy it. He didn't buy my rationalizations. It just, somehow, he just can't think the way I think. And um, I realized that, that, that point, I had to make a choice. I could confess my sin of disobedience and not doing what I felt he wanted me to do. I could thank God for his forgiveness because of Jesus' death on the cross. And I could give him control of my life again. Or I could continue to live in disobedience. It was my choice. And I wrestled with it for a few minutes back and forth, tried to rationalize some more, didn't go anywhere. Finally, I chose to confess and give him control again. And I called Jay to tell him, and he thanked me. But then he said, the guy didn't even show up. So I'm thinking, I went through all this you know, self-examination or all this conviction from God for nothing. You know? But no, God said, no, I wasn't focused on the man. I was focused on you. I want you to obey me. I want you to learn to serve others and not be focused on being served yourself. So if Christmas is the season for giving, it should also be the season for serving. And that would mean for me that every season is for celebrating Christmas. In a few minutes, we'll take... We're glad you took the time out today to listen to this sermon. And we pray that your life has been changed and that you were blessed by our Lord Jesus the Christ. To hear this sermon again or to listen to any of our other sermons, please remember to visit theville.church.